We are in the how to live section of Colossians, the book of Colossians. And turn to your Bibles there to Colossians chapter 3, page 984 in the Bible that's in the uh, book holder at the back of the seats there if you need one. Uh, But we're in the how to do the Christian life section. Uh, Paul has been laying for us just a critical groundwork on how to think about the Christian life. And that started in chapter 1. Chapter 1, really, of Colossians is all about know this. Jesus Christ is supreme. Chapter 2 is know this. Jesus Christ is supreme and don't think anything different. Don't get hoodwinked into thinking that he's any less than that or you have to add to that. No, no, no. Jesus Christ is supreme and that's what he lays out. Then in chapter 3, it's not only knowing that, but it's now it's living that out in our lives. And he's getting into this uh, section here where in the beginning is a reminder. Verses 1 through 4, it's we have a new identity and a new position in Christ. I want to let you know again. It's just a weekly great reminder. I don't know what your past may be. I don't know what kind of tragedy, what kind of hurt, what kind of yuck you might have in your past. But I want to know this. When you come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a whole new identity. It's not about the identity of so much who you are. Look at verse 1. It's you are raised with Christ. That's your identity. And then in verse 1, it also talks about a new position. You are where Christ is. And verse 1 also says, in light of that new identity and that new position, uh, you should be having a whole new orientation. Seek the things that are above. Because you have an identity of Christ, because you have a position with Christ, where once we were separated from Christ, we now have a whole new objective, a whole new identity. And then Paul starts laying that out in verses 5 and following. And in the next paragraph, he talks about put off things, put them to death. It's the, listen, followers of Christ with a whole new identity, a new position, and a new orientation. One of the things we need to be is we need to be about putting sin to death. We need to be approaching temptation, sin with a tenacity to just like kill the thing. Um, that's the tenacity that we have in ourselves with that. But we just don't want to be a put-off people because a put-off people are oftentimes just legalistic people and angry people. But we're also, the next paragraph talks about put on. In other words, replace those things with Christ's likeness because if you're a put-off only person or I'll say a put-off only parent with your children, uh, that's naked Christianity as we've talked about. It's like put some clothes on, man. It's replace what you've put off with something new. We want to be like Christ, more like Christ for his glory. Put that on. So put off, put on. But, but I have to note again, it doesn't just stop there. It also says at the end of that third paragraph, and let, and let, and let. And let the peace of Christ rule. And let the word of Christ dwell. And let the name of Christ compel. And friends, I'll even say some, from some of my background, just growing up in church and having some really good teaching in my background, um, oftentimes it's been the put off, put on only. And sometimes I think that works into where we have like a works-oriented sanctification. But it's put off, put on, but it's also, listen, let the peace of Christ rule in you. Let that happen. And let, let, let the, the name of Christ compel you. And let the word of Christ dwell in you. Put off, put on, and let, and let, and let. That's where we're at. But now it's narrowed in 
and he's talking to specific people groups. It, it, it's comfortable when, when the Bible talks about the, everybody. It gets more uncomfortable when all of a sudden God's like talking about, hey, se- left section of the auditorium, or it's like, hey, center section of the auditorium. It gets more nervous, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, it, it gets nervous, doesn't it? And, and we're in that section. And last week it was narrowing in on women, narrowing in on wives. And wives, the word for you that God had in verse 18 is hupotasso. Hupo, if you weren't here last week, you're wondering what I'm talking about. Hupotasso. It's, we noted last week that this is a word that's used all through the New Testament. It's not just about wives. It's not just about women hupotassoing. Uh, Ephesians 5.21. Everybody, all believers are to be hupotassoing. Uh, we're to be hupotassoing before the Lord. We're to be hupotassoing with one another. We're to be hupotassoing before our human authorities that are before us. And we talked about how hupotasso is a verb, not a noun. It's a verb. It's something you do. It's not a title. It's not a position. You already have that in Christ. Instead, people that are in Christ are to do something. And here, the word was hupotasso. It's an action. It's a verb. It's something you do. And also, it's an imperative verb. That means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, that would really appreciate it. It's like a, you do this. That's kind of what uh, Paul is clearly saying in this. Wives, verse 18, hupotasso to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, ladies, when we talked about this, there was one English word. If you can remember one English word without me prompting you, there was one English word that stood out. And what was that? Yield. Oh, you are on it. You remember well. Um, <laughs> I, I know about it. Um, and there were two English words that kind of were there to help us understand, describe what yield looks like. What were those two? You first. I just have to say, how cool is that? Oh, really, here's what God's asking us. We be a people and wives, you be a wife that is like, no, 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 you first, babe. You first. That's the whole concept b- behind what hupotasso is. Now, man, I asked you last week, I was asking you, uh, especially as husbands, are you making it easy for your wife? Are you helping her along? To be able to be to where hupotassoing to you, you first honey, is actually something that's very enjoyable. Guys, that, that, we, we, husbands, we should be that way. Or, or, or are you just a hard guy and making it hard on her? That's, that's, that's not what it's supposed to be about. Hupotasso. Well, men, we were on deck last week, but today we're up to bat. You ready? I wasn't too convinced by that. We're up to bat today. You ready? All right, here we go, guys. This is us. Colossians 3.19. That's where we're at. 3.19. We are going to spend the near entirety of literally probably outside, everything outside of about two minutes on the first four words. On the first four words. So here's what I want to have happen. Uh, We're going to spend the time on these four words. Tonight, we're going to be talking more about the last seven. And and guys, tonight, I really want to encourage you to come. Tonight's going to be an encouraging night, a helpful night, very practical night, just how to do a lot of what we're talking about this morning. So here's what I want. Guys, I'm going to ask you today, if you would stand up, all the guys, all the men in the room, stand up. And if you would read together Colossians 3, verse 19, all the guys... uh, Chapter 3, verse 19, whatever translation you have, that's okay. Read it out loud, ready. One, two, three, go. Excellent. One more time. One, two, three, go. Okay. Go ahead and grab a seat. Pastor Doug, I'm a single man. 
uh, today, I don't know why I came. <laughs> this doesn't apply to me because obviously this is talking to husbands and I'm not married. A couple things for you. Uh, one day, maybe you will be married. Um, and last week as well, along with that, I just add, when we were talking with the ladies, I, I was making mention of, of this with the single ladies. And when we went to Proverbs 31, the context of Proverbs 31, key passage about a kind of woman to be, uh, the context of that is King Lemuel is talking with his single son. He's talking with his single son about the kind of woman to marry. Listen, that means that King Lemuel is talking to his single son about the kind of single girl to find. Because a single Proverbs 31 woman becomes a married Proverbs 31 kind of wife. And so it's the same principle for the guys. Single guys, I just want for you to know, a single Colossians 3.19 kind of man becomes a husband that's a Colossians 3.19 man, okay? So it does apply to you. Plus, I'll add Colossians 3.14. Uh, the verse says, and above all these things, above all the put on, put off, uh, put on agape, uh, love which binds everything together. This is the word that you have here, husbands, agape your wives. And so it's not just about in marriage only, but all of us are to agape. And so I bring this not only to the single guys, but to everyone in this room, including the women. What we are talking about today applies to every one of us. If you are a believer in Christ, God has called you and I to be the kind of men, the kind of women, the kind of teens, the kind of kids, the kind of married people, single people, the kind of believers that are agape-ing in life. So we're going to be keying in on that word so you can just apply that to how you live life as we move ahead. We're to be agape kind of people. So then I want to give a final note here. Oh, by the way, to wives, uh, I'll note this as well. Uh, marriage is a team with a God-given purpose and mission. And that means great teams have teammates that understand each other's position. And so wives, today is a day for you to increasingly understand the call that God has on your husband. And while I say that, I'm going to say this to everybody. I want to warn everybody today that this passage, that this talking that we're doing is not about the person sitting next to you. It's about you. Because when we narrow in, this is the kind of time where we just have it in us, where we just start measuring our husbands. And I call you, don't do that, because Matthew 7, we read last week, how you measure your husband this morning, wives, is going to be how God measures you. And if you get real measurable today with them, know this, God's going to measure you just as hard, girl. And so I call you to be very careful while we're in this room today, ladies. Okay? I'm trying to love on you. I don't want a lot of sin going on in the room in here. I mean that seriously. Okay, so it's an opportunity to learn about your teammate. Well, let me pray. God, I pray as we dig into this passage that you would just show us a picture. I've purposely in the sermon notes today, there's not a word that I have written down on those. Because I want for everybody in this room to get the picture that you've laid out on what a husband that glorifies you 
looks like in his life. So Lord, I pray for the men in this room this morning. Would you help us to be moldable, not defensive? Would you help us to be learners? You've called us to an amazing task. Pray we would hear it and we would yearn for it. Precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, what are the first two words in verse 19? First two? Husbands love. Husbands, agape. Agape is the Greek word. Um, Agape is to be a central characteristic of us men. A central characteristic, not the only one, but clearly here a central characteristic because the Lord could have picked out anything to have been putting with this. And yet he picks this one. Husbands, uh, agape. What does agape mean? Well, uh, agape, one, it's a verb, not a noun, just like with the ladies. It's a verb, not a noun. That means it's not a title. It's not a position. It's not a place. It means it's something you do, guys. It's something you do. You are not an agape. Sounds like a fish. You are not an agape. You do agape. Okay? You are not an agape. You do agape. What is it? Well, I'll get there in just a second. A little bit more on the word. Uh, One more. It's an imperative. That means it's a command. Again, it's not a suggestion. It's not if you feel like it. It's not if it's a good day out. It's not even if your wife is doing her part right. It's an imperative. It's a command. By the way, think about that for a minute. A command. God doesn't have to command something that is already happening. If, if, if all men were agapeing, God wouldn't have to command that. But he does. He commands it to have happen. That means you and I choose to do this. Okay, no excuses about, well, I was never raised in a Christian home or I never got this teaching or like, you know, uh, I'm short, I'm tall, I'm whatever. Uh, None of those excuses apply here. This is a command to all husbands, a command. You choose it. But Doug, I'm not feeling the love for her. Here's the hope in this. Ladies, you might not like this, but here's the reality. It doesn't matter. It sure helps. I mean, I, I, I like love feelings. I like, you know, all them loving feelings, right? Okay, come on, just be, right? Right? I'm all about that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. God is not commanding a feeling. God is commanding an action. You cannot command someone to feel something. Feel angry. Feel happy. I mean, you might for a moment, but that you can't command anyone to feel anything. But you can command someone to do something. But I don't feel like it. Here's the hope. I mean, this, this is hopeful. You can still do it, even if you aren't feeling it. You can still do this, even if you aren't feeling it. And the truth of Scripture, James chapter 1, is that when we do what's right... The feelings follow. Agape is the cloak, verse 14 in the chapter, that covers all of it. We're to love one another. And I say this, I can't command you to feel for one another, but God can command us to love one another. 
And so even in that context, you don't have to know another believer or even have feelings for another believer. And yet still you can agape another person if you have no idea who they are or what they're about. That gives hope. That actually gives hope. Agape, the word, it means to love. The Greek has various kinds of words that apply to love. This word has a sacrificing emphasis to it. It has a serving emphasis to it. It has a self-giving emphasis to it. For God so agaped the world that he felt warm feelings. No, it's not how it went. For God so loved the world that he gave. Agape love is a giving love. It's a covenant commitment love. All of this means it is a will-driven love, not an emotion-driven love. When the emotions are there, it sure makes it easier. But it is not first and foremost an emotion-driven love. Also, agape is in the present tense. It means it's a command, imperative, to do it consistently and constantly. It's, it's not the kind of thing, well, I agaped once yesterday, and I'll probably agape once tomorrow. That's not the point here. It's constantly, continuously. That means in the highs. That means in the lows. That means when life is easier and life is harder in the circumstances. I'm to always be this, guys. Always, 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 always. And that even includes when your wife is not so loving word called to agape. Summary. Agape, present active imperative form in scripture, I would term it this way. It's a command to do life like Jesus did. It's a command to do life just like Jesus did. Self-sacrificing for others serving. It's for their well-being. It's a sacrificial love. And I choose to agape because I'm called by God to agape. And follower of Christ, husband this morning, if you're in this room and you leave this room and you say, I don't want to do this, you need to do business with God. And wives, you are not the Holy Spirit. This is how serious this is, guys. We're commanded to be doing this. Husbands, agape your wife. It's to be a central characteristic laid out that we continuously, continuously do. And wives, I just want to remember, be careful. Don't be measuring your husband right now. Instead, I would encourage you to be asking yourself, how am I making it hard for him to do that? What can I be doing to help him do that? And let me move to Ephesians 5. Everybody, please turn there. And I ask you to do that because here's the question. Guys, for us, I think for most people, it's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, Doug, I'm hearing the principle, but can you show me the picture? Yeah, can. And we can because scripture gives us a picture. And guys, sometimes, you know, we can be slow and it's like, so like, help me with a picture. And so here's the picture. And wives, I want to ask you to do this. Be awed by this picture. 
Because what we are about to enter, wives, is the kind of thing where you should be stepping back and going, oh my. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians is the twin sister book of Colossians, basically. It follows the same format, the same general outline as the book of Colossians. Here in this passage, I think Ephesians 5 contains the most important, I would use for me, the central passage of Scripture on what a husband-wife relationship looks like. It's pictured right here. And so we're taking Colossians 3 and we're saying this thing of husbands, love your wives, agape your wives. And we're asking the question, what does that look like? Ephesians uh, uh, gives us this picture of it. Let's get at it. Here we go. Verse 21. Let's pick up there in Ephesians 5. And it's speaking to all believers in the context. All believers be hupotasoing to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be hupotasoing to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, hupotasos to Christ, so also wives should hupotaso and everything to their husband. Let's pause there. A couple things here. We're on husbands. Uh, the husband is the head of the wife, the scripture said. Now, guys, Can we all just straight up agree? The text is not saying you are Jesus Christ. Can we all agree? Okay, agree. That is not what the text is saying. The text is not saying that you are Jesus Christ, the savior of your wife. The text is also not saying you are Jesus Christ like Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne, ruling over all things. The text is not saying that. Head, simply what does it mean? It means this, as Jesus Christ bears the responsibility to lead in the relationship between uh, he and the church, so the husband, you have first responsibility. As Jesus Christ has first responsibility for the relationship, husbands, you have first responsibility. You have first responsibility. That's why last week when we went back to Genesis, in that whole thing, it's like lived out in this picture. Adam and Eve, they sin together. They sin together. They they become a bad team. They don't uh, help each other. And they sin together. And God comes looking for Adam first. That's first responsibility. Do know this. God's looking for Eve as well. (laughs) God talks to Eve as well. Both are responsible, but God's coming first to Adam. There is a first responsibility thing. This is not a throne thing. I'll put it this way. You are the lead batter on the team, guys. And she's on your team. But you're the lead batter. Now, you're not batting for your glory. You step out. The crowd's. I know. I know it's all about me. I know, I'm the lead batter. I'm awesome. Everybody look at me. Teammates be about me. That's not what, it, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking the lead batters out there with the thing that's on his mind is I'm setting the pace for the team. I'm first up on the plate. I'm with this and it's not about me, it's about the team. And that's what's happening here. That's what headship means. You're batting for the team. Husband, is that your mindset? 
Is your mindset that I'm in this relationship for the team? I mentioned in the first service, Karen and I got married for the wrong reason. When we got married, we were believers in Christ, grew up going to church. We wanted to honor the Lord with our relationship. But to tell you the truth, when we got married, and we talk about this, about how when we got married, the main reason we got married was we thought that when we would be married, she would bring me happiness, I would bring her happiness. That's the wrong reason. Because what happens when the happiness isn't so happy? And what happens when, in fact, like, you really irritate me. This is, not, this is some friends of ours. And I'm not just talking about a day or a weekend or a week or a month or years. Then the purpose of the marriage has no more purpose because happiness was the purpose. That's not the purpose of marriage. From God's perspective, he has a much bigger, much better picture of it all. And we're to be a bat to, for the purpose. What's the purpose? We're getting there. Verse 25. I think the most important verse in the entire Bible for a husband to understand what a husband is supposed to be. Husbands, agape your wives. That sounds familiar. That's Colossians 3.19. Look at there. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's talk about this. Husbands, agape, your wives. It's also a present active imperative. It means get in the love game. Get in the agape game. Get up to the bat. Grab the bat, step up to the plate with this in mind. You're up there to agape in the game. What's that look like? It says it looks like how Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Grammatical structure in this. In the Greek, there's an emphasis, an emphatic we don't see in the English. It's saying essentially dual on the Christ thing. It's as he himself. There's an emphatic there. It implies this idea. Just like Christ himself made the choice to do something. Just like that, there's an emphatic in it. To give himself up. Interesting word. It means to be delivered over to. It means to be handed over. It means to set something aside. It means to betray. If you go to other passages, Matthew 27, Pilate uses, it said that Pilate delivers over a form of this word, delivers over Jesus Christ to be crucified, handing over. John 19.30, Jesus Christ on the cross, he says, I give up my spirit, and he dies. He gives over. He, he hands over in that. Luke twenty two forty eight. this is huge. Jesus is in Gethsemane. They're praying. Judas arrives, and Jesus says to Judas, Judas, would you, and he uses a form of this word, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? betray. That's the idea. Ephesians 5.25 is talking about here. It's this idea of uh, as Jesus Christ gave himself up, as Jesus Christ betrayed his very self, handing him over, 
Husbands like that. Husbands like that. Husbands, love your wife like that. Guys, this is a clear picture in kind of the image I'm giving of the batter that stepped up to the plate, bat in hand, agape in mind, and his eyes are on the road down the Via Della Rosa to the cross. Know this. This is not talking about like Christ on the throne ruling over. This is talking about how Christ gave up, loved the church, loved his bride so much that he was willing to be beaten and mocked and ripped to shreds and cussed out and killed for his bride. That's how big a deal, guys, this is. This is, marriage is no wimpy little thing about two people that just feel a warm and cuddly. And you'll make me happy and I'll make you happy. And <laughs> this is way bigger than that. This is about, guys, you and I on a daily in-out basis, we are to be living like Jesus Christ carrying the cross down the road instead of having our eyes uh, on us, uh, on what we could have. Our eyes are to be down the Via Del Rosa just like Christ walked down. Man, that's hard. And I don't do very good at it. Just being straight up. For the past 10, 20 years, I've been uh, asking and observing uh, in men. I've been asking the question a number of times. What's your central role as a husband? Here's 99% of the time a Christian husband responds with this. To be the leader. Hmm. Okay. Follow-up question. What does to be a leader in the home look like? Um, 99% of the time, it comes down to essentially some shape, manner, or form of reply of, well, I'm supposed to make the decisions. Question, where in the world do you see that in the text? If we're to agape one another... Does that mean we make decisions for one another? No. If we're to agape Jesus Christ, love him, so does that mean we make decisions for Jesus Christ? Let's be consistent here because what's happening is we're taking a worldview and putting it into scripture. The head thing does not mean boss. And in fact, here's generally when men and women, frankly, when they think of a leader, this is really what they picture. They picture this kind of stuff. Business leaders, presidents, or Jesus Christ on the throne ruling over all things, or, or great leaders, or, you know, yeah. Yeah. And we do that at home then. 
Because when I think of leaders, I think of my boss. I think of the CEO. I think of decision makers. Is that what the text is talking about here? Hey, friends, I I am convinced that we have... Uh, not intentionally, but we have gotten the wrong picture of what a biblical husband is supposed to look like. Instead of looking like that, a biblical husband should be looking more like this. That's the picture of the text. I'm not trying to stretch it. I'm not trying to make it anything else. Because believe you me, I would rather it be a CEO because I can do that better than I can do this. But this is what the text is talking about. This is the picture that the text is given. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, betraying himself, giving himself up for his bride. That's the picture. That's what should be happening in our homes. And by the way, wives, may I ask you this of you? As we're bringing this picture of down the Via Dolorosa, have you been more like the people on the side mocking and telling how dumb and how how far you fall short of things? Are you more like that? Or are you being more like Simon of Cyrene who's coming along and basically saying, can I help you? And how many times wives after wife after wife, bless your heart, I understand you want a husband to be like that and he's not. And yet you're more like the people on the side of the road. Dude, you stink! In some shape, manner, or form, it said. And here's what happens. The guy trying to do that, he's like, I'm out. I quit. But may I remind you guys, even if that is happening, Jesus Christ went all the way to the cross. Do you see how this plays together? How this works together? Do you see when wives are when You first, babe. And husbands are in the thing of, it's for you, babe. Do you see how that works together? Man, more of that, more of that. Let's get off CEO and let's get down the Via Della Rosa, boys. And wives, help him be what God has called him to be. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Let me just read through the rest of the text. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Guys, is the word of God a part of your marriage? I'm talking about not just do, I'm, hear me. I'm not asking if you do devotions. I'm asking for something far bigger than that. I'm asking, does the word of God drive how you respond in your thinking with your wife? Does the word of God drive in what you say in your relationship with your wife? Do you talk about scriptural things? Or when all of a sudden someone talks about the Bible, it's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, trouble's coming now. 
No, no, no. Are you talking it together? Wife, are you doing the same thing? Are you together, husband, giving back and forth? Is the word of God a part of your relationship and your thinking? Wash her with the water of the word, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Oh, guys, I love this passage. This is the, for me personally, this is the thing that I'm so, I fall so short of, but has such a picture. How are we helping our wives, preparing her for a presentation to the Lord? I think when we stand before the Lord, guys, yeah, God, let me tell you about my job. Yeah, I got that. No, but let me tell you about my income. Yep, yep, I know about that too. I got a question for you, dude. Tell me about your wife. Because if you really want to know who you are, men, ask about your wife. Are you preparing her for her presentation? Are you thinking about her? What are things that my wife needs to be growing in Christ? How can I help her? How can I motivate her? How can I come alongside, not CEO her, but to the cross her with that? How can I be that kind of thing, helping her for her presentation? Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. That's not saying you need to love yourself more, guys. No, no, no. We do pretty well at that. What it's really saying is, let's stop loving ourselves so much and let's start loving her like we just normally will love ourselves. Okay? You don't need to love yourself more. You love yourself enough. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. That's the headship. That's the responsibility for. I cherish it. I nourish it. I'm about its presentation. Verse 30, because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father, mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. In fact, I'm going to ask you this. I think this whole thing is so profound. I'm going to ask, how often have you heard this taught? Seriously. How often have you heard this picture from Scripture given? That guys were to be like Christ on the Via Della Rosa. That's who we're supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to look like. This is a profound mystery, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That's the picture, guys. That's the picture. It's not about the happiness That's fantastic, but ultimately it's about a picture of the two of you living like Christ in the church. Can you imagine God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit just sitting back and going, look at that couple. Look at that couple. Can you get a load of this? They are living like Christ in the church. Be glorified. And can you imagine if God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit is seeing millions of couples like that all around the earth living like Christ giving himself up and like the church hupotassoing to the Lord. The Godhead sits back and goes, this is what I was talking about. That's the picture, couples. That's the picture. Husbands, lastly, 
love your wives and do not be harsh with them. How interesting is that statement? Of all the things that Paul could say, he says, do not be harsh. I mean, couldn't he have said, hey, husbands, lose some weight? Couldn't he have said, husbands, be more patient? Couldn't he have said, basically, he's doing the put on, put on agape, put off harshness. Why that? Might it be that within men, we have a tendency to be harsh with our wives? Might that just be why? Harshness, it means to be sharp. It means to respond to ill will, with ill will. It means to throw your weight around with her. Throw your weight around in your home. Are you that kind of guy? Because if you're that kind of guy, that is not the picture. Don't be that. Dude, if you think you're an awesome stud dude, stop it. Pick up the cross. If you want to be a stud, start walking down the Via Della Rosa. Being harsh is me first, not you first. Being harsh is me first, not you first. By the way, Harsh doesn't just mean vocal harsh. You can be harsh and totally silent. Wives, an unyielding wife triggers harshness in a man. Marriage is about a living picture of Christ in the church. My goal here has been last Sunday and today to lay out a picture. Wives, you first, honey. You first, honey. Husbands, it's for you, babe. I'm living for you. Oh, it's hard, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Please help me out here. Man, I'm like totally naked, if you will, up here. It's hard. But what God calls us to be, God has equipped us to be. And we don't have excuses for it. It's really a matter of let's grow and change. And so here's the deal, guys. Tonight we're going to be coming together and tonight's not going to be a chew out kind of a thing, anything like that. Tonight is going to be a let's help each other in this. What are some practical ways we can kind of get after some of this that we become more husbands like this. Wives, I really pray today that as you leave today, you step back and you go, oh my word. My husband has been commanded by God to live to me like Christ walking down the Via Della Rosa to the cross. How can I help him carry that? Guys, that would help, wouldn't it? We love cheerleaders. 
We don't need people along the road telling us what we're failing at. We need people coming and helping us be what God has called us to be. We need your help and we want to help you. Agape. Agape. Guys, I'll see you tonight. Lord willing. With agape in mind, let me wrap it with this. As the worship team comes up. Agape is also something we're to do to one another, right? Colossians 3.14. And Pastor Eric talked about how we have an opportunity here at the end of the service to be able to, to give to help our international ministry teams. And each of the individuals on those teams have to raise two to two, $2,200 per team member. And we know that as a church, we want to be a part of loving on them and helping them. And, and so I'll just say it this way. Literally, this is an opportunity to agape one another. Sacrificial for them. And Harvest, I am really asking, I'm just straight out on the table. I'm asking that you would give sacrificially to help. We want to love on these team members. They're taking off work. They're working hard. And one of the things that would be such an encouragement to them that would be like a cheering them on is if we could just help them financially. So we're taking an offering here to do that. And I just want to encourage you to consider agape on them. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. God, thank you so much that you have not called us to live lives that are easy. Anybody can live easy. But God, you have actually called us to live lives that, wow, they are heavy. Hupotasoing kind of lives. Called to be about you, not about me. Called to serve you, to help you, to cheer you on, to encourage you along for your glory, Lord. And God, with that, you, you've also called husbands in this, in this deal, men to be uh, agape kind of husbands, uh, not just loving here and there husbands, but all the time and loving husbands that are, that are giving of ourselves, that are sacrificing ourselves, that, that view it, our life right now, it's all about my bride. And as a man and a husband, God, you know, I and we struggle to be that. It is in our nature to want to be about ourselves first. And I would pray, Lord, that, yeah, I would pray that guys would feel the weight, but I would not pray that they would feel the weight and not do anything different. I pray that they would feel the weight and, God, they would leave this room and just be considering how can I be more like Christ betraying himself down the Via Della Rosa. Not harsh. But preparing our bride for her presentation before you. Washing her in the word. Oh God, may we be less about our careers, less about our hobbies, less about us and more about our wives. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.